Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Gridiron Blitz Podcast, your weekly source for women's American football, insights, game recaps, and NFL News Weekly. Subscribe on Apple and iHeart. is the fastest growing daily fantasy sports site in America. You get fun, easy to play contests with cash prizes featuring your favorite players. Monkey Night Fight, daily fantasy sports for the rest of us. Sign up now and get an instant match on your first deposit up to $50. Welcome guys to the Blitz, uh, episode 431 in the house. Uh, we're going to have uh, Coach Cameron Veal of the Mississippi Lady Panthers coming into the house, give us a breakdown of the nine cup weekend plus uh, his global initiative feedback in terms of how that worked out for the Mississippi Lady Panthers and as kind of like a preview of the 2023 Panthers and see where we're going to be at in terms of the offseason roster plus we're going to be diving into uh, the WFA round two pro division division two and division three with coach Terry Lister Mark Simone in the second hour uh, we're going to break down everything that's happened there we're going to also break down the 2022 WNFC finals uh, nine cup you can get it on Vire Sports right there. You get the replay. Uh, Utah Falcons taking on Texas Elite Spartans. Uh, the Spartans uh, do win the nine cup in a very, very satisfactory fashion. Uh, 48 to 12. Uh, they they were dominant all game. Um, they took care of business. Uh, Bushman receivers and company. You can also get some of the highlights right there at the hub at facebook.com forward slash career beauties. So uh, the Texas Elite Spartans, uh, become the first three-peat champions in the WNFC uh, in terms of their existence. Uh, looking forward to see if they're going to do a, a, a four-peat at this point. It looks like that's where it's going. Uh, so uh, congratulations to the Elite Spartans, uh, Brittany Bushman and company there. Uh, also, you know, awesome job by the Falcons trying to make it a game for themselves. Um, a little bit overmatched uh, most of the game, uh, but there was a lot of heart there as well. So there's a lot of uh, effort that's going to go into the offseason for Utah to try to come back, on an, uh, come back for the 2023 season and see if they're going to make the return to uh, Dallas at this point for the nine cup. If it stays in, in Texas, I'm assuming it'll probably stay in Texas for a while there. A uh, very successful uh, nine cup weekend. Uh, girls finals with the flag environment as well. We had the all pro game right there. You can also catch it on Vire Sports on the Virus Sports uh, Network on the app. Uh, so interesting weekend for the nine cup. Uh, we got a champion plus the uh, all pro game worked out really good. Plus uh, a lot of festivities. So we're going to talk to coach uh, uh, Cameron Veal here on the nine cup weekend and his experience there and what to expect obviously for the 2023 season as a whole for the WNFC. So we'll uh, dive into him in a couple minutes here and see what his thoughts are. Uh, the WFA pro division uh, was all over on our uh, hub page, so you get to watch it right there as well. Some of the matchups, uh, Revere TV, you had Boston uh, versus Pittsburgh. You also had Minnesota uh, taking on Cali War. Pretty interesting uh, matchups there for the games in terms of the WFA weekend. Uh, for the most part, out of the whole weekend, the rest of the games were really uh, blowouts. So uh, surprising enough, uh, Oklahoma Lady Force routed in terms of, uh, you know, route 24-2, to two, uh, Arizona only can come up with a safety the whole game. 
So uh, Arizona uh, was trying to return to the D3 final here, trying to make a name for themselves, uh, returning for a second time back-to-back, and it will, it will not be the case. So the Lady Force do advance to Canton for the road to Canton for the D3 National Championship, and they will be facing the red-hot late-season uh, Capital City Savages who took down the Carolina Phoenix 42-6. to That was an impressive win. This is going to be a competitive matchup. We're going to talk about it in the second hour as we get Mark Simone in the mix, Terry Lister in the mix as well. Interesting to see how we break down Capital City against OKC. We'll do that in, uh, this, um, this, a little bit in this podcast, and then we'll also uh, kind of dive into the next podcast more thoroughly in terms of the matchups and who's going to be keys to, their, to the wins here. So Capital City, uh, OKC will battle D3 in the WFA Division Three National Championship. And then you also had Derby versus Baltimore. Baltimore, uh, an impressive late rush against Columbus, uh, made a really good a- advancement there for the Nighthawks, but it just did not happen against Derby City. We talked to uh, Thelma Banks on the last uh, podcast, 4, uh, 4.30 last week. Um, so we talked to her about how things are going to work out for Derby City. They were playing at home in a uh, very nice stadium. And so uh, they come out 40-12. to 12. They really put on a really offensive show there. Pretty good defense on top of that, and Baltimore was just not able to uh, come up with, uh, you know, the victory on the road. So, uh, you know, Baltimore has been kind of shorthanded uh, most of the uh, last two seasons as well, so I don't know if that was an issue with in terms of injuries or anything like that, but they did not fare well, of course, in this environment. So Derby City uh, Dynamite does uh, get it 40-12 to 12 at this point. Uh, mile high also, a 12-6 to 6, uh, victor. In terms of the Houston Energy uh, versus Houston Energy, mile high wins 12 to six, and then uh, Minnesota Vixen uh, take uh, take down the Cali War. Very impressive game there. Uh, really good effort by Cali War, um, and uh, Minnesota does get the win. We talked about home field advantage last weekend on the last podcast. Whether that was going to be a deciding factor, but uh, it, it was in this case. And uh, Sam uh, Sam Barber, obviously, and Kelly at quarterback. Big difference makers there. The defense did give up some points there. Uh, Cali just could not uh, help out with, uh, you know, taking care of the receivers there. So they get edged 36 to uh, 36 to 30 in a victory. They will advance to the final in a rematch versus the Boston Renegades, who took down the Pittsburgh Passion 42 to 24. This was an impressive win by Boston. Early on, Pittsburgh did come up with some really good plays. If you watch the game, you can replay it right there on Revere TV. Uh, George and company, really impressive in the first half. And then Boston literally starts to run away with it. Uh, There was no real uh, key person in terms of the backfield, international backfield. It was more of a complimentary. There was no Allison Cahill at this point either, So, which is what's surprising a lot to a lot of people when they start watching the game. We have no uh, Cahill at the helm. Uh, so it was a backup quarterback. So we're going to be talking about it in the second hour. But uh, Boston does advance. So in D1, we get the Boston Renegades-Minnesota Vixen rematch. Uh, and we know what came out last last year. So it's going to be interesting to see how Minnesota this year, uh, with a different quarterback, different scheme, and all that, how they're going to fare uh, this this uh, the next uh, opportunity. Uh, Derby, uh, Derby City will be facing My High Blaze. That is going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, My High has been shorthanded the whole time into the into the playoffs. They finally get over the hump here, and they do take care of the Houston Energy. 
Uh, Energy did get uh, basically a competitive game, really, and they get edged 12 to 6, which is probably the, the closest game out of the whole schedule in terms of the playoff. So if you get get the chance to watch it there as well, I don't know if there was a live stream at this point or they'll they'll upload a live stream in terms of YouTube. But if they do, obviously that's one of the games you want to watch. It's a really competitive game. Uh, Dynamite, uh, we'll move on. This is going to be a really interesting clash here. Uh, Derby City looking for a repeat here. Uh, they won D3 championship. This is the Nevada story in terms of D2 this year. Can they do D2 championship here? And then the question will be, will they be able to move up to D1? So it's really interesting how the WFA playoff picture uh, turned out this this time around. So interesting to see how that uh, transpires. Uh, The 9 Cup was impressive. Uh, You got to see uh, a lot of events there. Uh, You know, shout out to the Texas Elite Spartans. You can go to our our IG there, um, and you get to see the Spartans' uh, um, IG post that we did. We also uh, want to congratulate the um, Saskatoon Valkyries, who won the WWCFL championship this weekend against the Manitoba Fearless as well, and in impressive fashion as well. So you get to uh, watch it there as well on the hub at facebook.com forward slash Grand Beauties. That is the place to be. So don't forget to uh, subscribe to our podcast. Also, don't forget to go to and like our page on Facebook. And then uh, don't forget also to sign up to our podcast sponsor, Monkey Knife Fight. You can play NBA, uh, NHL is over, but you can play uh, PGA and get ready for the NFL in the offseason as well. So pretty interesting uh, to do that as well. Um, so don't forget to sign up, Monkey Knife Fight. Um, you get a $5 free play up to $100 match. Go to MonkeyKnifeFight.com, use the code NJF. And you can also uh, go to our No Joke Football Shop at Zazzle.com. You can get cool shirts, leggings, and gifts. Use our daily codes and save big. Thanks for, uh, you know, t- checking out our shop as well. And then uh, – we're going to be getting into the coach right here, Coach uh, Camry Veal, in a couple minutes here as we're going to be talking down the 2022 WNFC, uh, WNFC uh, 9 Cup as well. Let me see here. Hold on. And get him the, the goal right there. Here we go. All right. There we go. Um, so interesting to see how the international scene also uh, it comes about. We had uh, Sweden in the final. Karlstad Crusaders also will advance to take on Orobro in the uh, women's uh, division as well. Um, the division was set up where it was a combined with Division One, which normally is a, a, a Super Series matchup. But this is uh, where the, the series kind of divides itself. They're doing the 11s versus 11s in the final. Teams that will meet, obviously, will be the Karlstad Crusaders versus the Orobro Black Knights. That will be the final in the Sweden uh, final at this point. We're also going to be keeping tabs in terms of the other uh, things that are happening in Mexico. We're also keeping tabs in terms of the NWFL, in terms of the finals there as well. So everything that's uh, you know matched up for the weekend internationally right there at the hub as well. Uh, Nate Ward's got some uh, insider notes. He's not going to be able to make it this week, but we did have a great game in Seattle as the Seattle Thunder in the X League just routed 84, I believe, to 36, if I'm correct, the Denver Rush. So if you're, uh, you got the fan pass on xleague.live, uh, live, you're able to watch the Seattle, Seattle Thunder take down the Denver Rush. 36, I mean 84 to 36 was the final. Interesting dynamic in terms of the X League and how that's going to evolve. Uh, whether, you know, we got Austin pretty much in, in good sync. Chicago came out really strong week one. And now we have Seattle. 
in week three. So interesting to see how week four is going to fare out. But we got powerhouses out there in terms of, of the West uh, would be Austin and Seattle, more likely the, the, the teams to meet. In the East, we're looking at probably Chicago against the Atlanta Empire. So it's going to be interesting uh, to see how, you know, X-League evolves through the season. We also have a WFL live streams from Mexico. Uh, so you can check out everything that happened in Mexico this past weekend from the live streams right there in terms of the action that happened down, down under. Um, and then uh, we're going to kind of dive into the, uh, the Central America swing. Uh, I know we're pending on information of whether we're going to have a season in Honduras, whether we'll have a season, I believe, in the middle uh, there as well in terms of uh, Honduras or uh, not Guatemala, but uh, I think it's Panama. So one of the two uh, uh, countries there will either have a season built up as well. We're also going to dive into Mexico as we get into closer to that. And then the IWFA season is also in gear in Texas in terms of the 898 uh, factor there. So a lot of uh, football, women's football to cover, and this is the place to be Tuesday afternoons. You can basically get your lowdown and fix as we break down everything in the second hour, women's football uh, hour uh, with Mark Simone, and uh, sometimes Coach Terry Lister will come in here, plus our ex-league insider, uh, Nate Ward. And we should have the uh, the – Salty one in the house in the second hour this uh, this uh, week. So looking forward to the return of Mackenzie Brooks to the podcast. Uh, Holly Custis will not be here this week. She uh, her return next week or the week after, uh, giving herself a rest after this uh, huge season in the Nine Cup with the Utah Falcons and obviously the defeat at the Nine Cup. Uh, she obviously needs uh, some rest and recovery so she can come back strong. And earn. then we're going to be diving into the NFL in the off season. We're also going to be diving into college football as we normally do in the fall. And we'll dive into the IFAB World uh, Women's Championship coming up here in July as well. So a lot of football to talk about as well. So don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Twitter uh, is, is the latest updates on Women's American Football News. So follow us at Great RMBD on Twitter. You get the link right there on our podcast promo link as well. And don't forget to subscribe on our podcast on iHeart, uh, Spotify, and Apple. All right, let's go into the Monkey Night Fight Huddle. We're going to be talking to the talented coach of the uh, Lady Panthers, Mississippi Lady Panthers, and that's going to be Coach uh, Cameron Veal in a second here. Is the fastest growing daily fantasy sports site in America. You get fun, easy to play contests with cash prizes featuring your favorite players. Monkey Night Fight, daily fantasy sports for the rest of us. Sign up now and get an instant match on your first deposit up to $50. All right, guys, don't forget to go to Mike and I Fight, support the podcast, get yourself a $5 free play, more or less is the great platform there. Check out PGA, MMA, and then in the fall, NFL. So if you're inclined, you uh, get a nice bet and a prop right there. Uh, if you get it right, you're going to get $15 earned on our $5 free play, up to a $100 match. So check it out, com. Use the code NJF to get started. Let's uh, dive into the Mississippi Lady Panthers, the uh, Nine Cup weekend with uh, our coach, Coach uh, Cameron Veal of the Mississippi Lady Panthers. Coach, how's it going? Hey, what's going on, Oscar? Good to be back. Good to be back. How's it going, sir? Uh, what a weekend for the WNFC. Uh, great uh, weekend in terms of girls, uh, you know, the girls uh, flag event. You also had the uh, All-Pro. And then you also had, obviously, the final. Right. right. Yeah, it was awesome, man. It was, a, as always, WNFC put on an amazing product. <laughs> Uh, really just showing what the future is going to be like and what, well, not even just the future, what now is, what the sport now to women's football is. 
and um, the vision that they have for the athletes. It's just always dope to be around like-minded people who want to push the sport, who really want to help the, help the athletes get to where they need to go. So, yeah, man, it was perfect. It was perfect. Uh, Coach, got uh, Team Supreme taking on the Regulators. That was kind of an interesting concept mm-hmm. instead of just East and West. Right, deal. right, right. Yeah, it was different. It was definitely different. I like how they mixed it up. Uh, the draft was different, but I think it worked out. It was pretty cool. You know, I was torn. I couldn't root for anybody. You know, having players on both sides, I think most coaches were torn. Uh, a lot of players went both ways. You know, they were just picking back and forth. So it was just fun to just sit back and watch and be a fan without having to worry about, you know, rooting for who's going to do what. It's just great to see all the talent in the league uh, on such a big level, being at the star in Frisco. It's just so dope, man. So, yeah, it was just nice to just sit in the stands and just cheer and root my girls on without having to worry about <laughs> wins and losses and just can have fun. Coach, uh, what was the atmosphere in the uh, the stadium? It's a unique environment there. I know high school championships mm-hmm. are played there. There's a lot of support there that the, the Cowboys do in terms of Texas. So how was it, you know, the atmosphere there for you in terms of uh, from your perspective? From my perspective, man, it was a lot of appreciation. I think it was it was a little bit past, you know, uh, just excitement. It was more so appreciation. A lot of the players and teams that flew down and fans that flew, flew down, I think it just gave them a glimpse of the future. A lot of people, it was kind of a surreal moment for them, myself included, to just be like, man, wow, you know, we were playing on grass fields and things like this, and now we're at the Star in Frisco, you know, Dallas Cowboys practice stadium can sit 10,000 people or more. I'm not really sure, but it was just wild, man, just to see it, just to see the athletes be able to enjoy a moment like that, to see the teams, you know. Like I said, what what OJ and what the WNFC is doing, man, it's just it's ridiculous. So, yeah, the atmosphere was just surreal. I think a lot of people were just taking in the moment. Uh, we saw a lot of battles, and you witnessed a lot of battles in, in the East. Uh, Alabama came close mm-hmm. to tearing down this Texas team with a loss. Right, uh, right. Interesting in the season. So uh, I think the level of play, or you could say the, the targeting of that team, is making everybody else try mm-hmm. to get to the higher level to match them intensity-wise. Right, right. And I I don't think that's ever been a mystery. I don't think there's ever been uh, anything short of what exactly the league and what OJ is expecting. She knows she has the most dominant team. She knows that she has some of the best players in the world. And, you know, our motto is step your game up. She's waiting for somebody to step up and use them as a blueprint to get there. So, you know, it's, it's, it's always something, you know, going to be said and done when teams are just that good. But they're just that good. There's nothing you can shake a finger at, but it's making everybody else elevate. You know, scoring a touchdown on Texas is almost monumental now. So it's making everybody, you know, elevate, make everybody step the game up, no pun intended. But it's definitely making teams better. It's making teams recruit different, making teams have to scheme different and actually care more about what they're putting and what product they're putting on the field. So, yeah, you know, I think Texas has always been the blueprint that everybody is shooting for. Coach, uh, on, in terms of the Atlantic, you're part of it. Uh, it's a good mixture mm-hmm. of tough, gritty teams there. Um, I think uh, Atlanta, mm-hmm. probably the disappointing part for, for me was they just did not show up. In that in that final yeah. week, you know when it mattered, mm-hmm. they were talking a lot of smack, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a lot of smack. But when right. it comes down to it, right, the smack has to come right. 
to fruition, and it did not happen. So I think Atlanta really uh, missed out on an opportunity, you know, where they were they were very. Mm-hmm. I think, I, in my point, they were overly confident, but you didn't understand, yeah. like you said, that this is this is a different team that's built differently, and these players, mm-hmm. the commitment on the lines, uh, the body types on the lines. I mean, wow. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? It's, correct. When you scope, when yeah. you scope the Spartans, it's basically matchup by matchup, and you really got to break it down that way too. Yeah, it's tough, man. It's tough, and you know, Atlanta's just gonna be Atlanta. You know, what uh, me and Brain or April, the owner of the Atlanta team, that's just them. This is gonna be Brash. They're gonna be Atlanta. You know, and I kind of like it. I like the the you know bravado that they carry about themselves. You know, it's just confidence. I don't really see anything wrong with it, but. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And it's the same thing Mike Tyson said, you know. A lot of people said that they were going to go in there and whoop Tyson. Then he walked in the ring and things different, myself included. You know, it's happened to everybody. It's literally happened to everybody now in the Atlantic. So it's nothing nothing that I can, you know, try to down Atlanta on or try to down another coach. They've beaten everybody. So it's, you know, everybody comes in there with their confidence and their surety and their swagger about themselves. And they just put the game of attrition on you, man. They're just good. They're just good all the way across the board. Uh, it's always a fun game playing Texas. They're, you know, just so good at football, like you were saying. It's really matchup by matchup. Uh, Lyman versus Lyman, you really got to go down their roster matchup by matchup. They just got – they've just put it together so well, man, that, you know, it's going to always make for an interesting game no matter who's who's playing them because – everybody is going to play guaranteed their best football that night, or they should, in my personal opinion. They should play their best football, even if, you know, to stand even a slight chance. So, yeah, you know, it, it was it was a fun game to watch for me, the Atlanta team. I, um, you know, I was just, you know, like everybody was hoping for something different. Everybody wants to see the King get slayed, but it just ain't happening yet. Now, I, it's interesting to see how Kansas City grew to get into the playoffs. So that was really interesting to see how Kansas City kind of evolved. Right. And right. then we also had the opportunity where, you know, we thought Washington was going to be for real, and it just wasn't the case. Right. But it was nice to see mm-hmm. uh, a different matchup in season where I think the schedule mm-hmm. really uh, I think was really good on the Atlantic side where, you know, uh, the Spartans were just not facing their own central, uh, you know, uh, uh, right. teams. They were really working in right. terms of trying to, you know, pinpoint one or two outsider teams. And, uh, you know, Atlanta exactly. Atlanta was really overconfident, I think, and they just didn't anticipate that. But Alabama, the, the Alabama game really set the tone mm-hmm. for how you can match up against Texas and, and, and play four quarters yeah. of football. The problem is, you mm-hmm. know what, uh, you, if you don't play four quarters of football, like every other team that faced them, they might play two good quarters of football, and then when you come, in, come after halftime, you get just literally rolled, yeah, rolled over. Absolutely. You're speaking to the choir, man. That's what happened to us. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, trust me, I understand. And Alabama, you know, say what you want about them. They're just gritty. You, that's, to me, pound for pound toughness, Alabama is the toughest team in the league in the sense of just pure mindset of we just are dogs and we will be here the entirety of this game. It's Alabama hands down. They're the bullies of the league almost. And it's, um, it's almost – you know, you you know what you're going to expect with them. They're going to run the ball. They're going to throw the ball. They're going to move it around. They got some great coaching. Got some great players. And even and you know they're building. They're building on that team that they have, and it's just getting tougher and tougher to beat them. And um, yeah, Alabama is just one of those teams, man. They're not going anywhere. We played Alabama twice. We're one and one with them. 
So they're not going anywhere. They're just going to be somebody who's here. They're going to be annoying. They're going to be hard to beat. Uh, they're just going to be in your face the entirety of the game. And um, it breaks a lot of people. It breaks a lot of people, and it almost broke Texas. You know, so but just experience, time, like I said, attrition. Uh, I think that's what really Texas was trying to show this season, travel around a lot, play a lot of the teams that people claim they didn't play. Um, you know, they just did what they do. I think the schedule parity is going to be beneficial, especially on the Atlantic side. Uh, you really want to see, right. you know, Texas take on not just Kansas City, not just Houston, mm-hmm. but really take on, you know, Mississippi, take on Alabama at least mm-hmm. once a year, take on Washington, right? Sure. So it's – I know Correct. it's a travel issue that obviously in the offseason has to be uh, addressed because that's a travel cost issue mm-hmm. as well. So it's a lot of things right. to be addressed right. in the offseason. Uh, the reason, uh, from what I'm told, the reason why the league is – really trying to push for some sort of airline uh, partner, airline sponsor of some sort, so that it will alleviate some of that, some of that cost, you know, to have uh, the team travel more closely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, man. The league is just always trying to make things better. Now with the new sponsorships from Big Sporting Goods, you know, having major brands like that attached to your, your organization can't do anything but help you in the future when you go to these companies and try to get more things out of them to help it and make it easier for your players. Like you said, man, the parity and the scheduling to me was awesome this year. Like I liked every game we played this year was every game was tight. Texas, you know, they came out and adjusted well in the second half, but the scoreboard really didn't show the full game. Uh, Kansas city, they've got great young players coached phenomenally by coach Kiki. Uh, The defense is just ridiculous. They all, man, they get to a ball crazy. I've never seen somebody move to a ball better. Some people do it as good, but probably not better. They flow to a ball very well. Uh, like I said, man, everybody's just growing. I just like to see the growth. Um, even teams who whose record didn't, you know, pan out the way they wanted it to pan out, they're still trying to grow the organization. And that's going to help. I feel that's what the main thing is going back to what you were saying with traveling and stuff. Just build your organization up. Not make it just about football. Understand that it's a business. And you're running a business, and once they get that down, and everybody gets that down, it'll just be better for the players. You know, it'll be better for the players in the sense of travel and everything. So I'm pretty sure something's going to come eventually with the WNFC in the sense of regard of air, airline travel. They always pull something off. Now, coach, uh, the 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 format that everybody's looking at, right? It's a 20 team, 17 team, you know, uh, ranking which is the rankings that we do weekly with the WFRC. Um, I think the reason that everybody's catching up on this, you know, the the fanfare on the league to me is the fact that every game matters week to week. So it's like, if you want to be in that top 10, you want to be in the top five to finish and make the playoffs. I mean, you, you, every game matters. And and it matters in terms of what you bring to the, uh, to the scoring. It also matters in terms of, Mm -hmm. you know, the perception of, team-by-team matchup. So there's a lot of factors that go into mm-hmm. play, uh, you know, where you have to, you know, you can blow out a team 50-80 to 80 or 80-0, to zero, but when you come down to, you know, facing a Texas or facing a, a, a tighter team and you're not even that close mm-hmm. to it, uh, that, that's a reality check, right, to, like, figure out, okay, why absolutely. are we not dominant? Yeah, absolutely, man, and, the, you know, the fan, well, the voting and things that we do to, uh, you know, to get to the playoffs, 
a lot of people have issues with it, and a lot of people don't understand it. But to me, like you said, it kind of sort of shows every game matters. You can't just go through and, you know, poo-poo your way through a game just expecting, okay, we're going to get an easy win here, just make it to the playoffs, and let's just cruise and ride off to the sunset. You really can't. You got to play every single game like it's a championship game. You got to put up points. You got to get W's. And then those tight games, those games that's supposed to be tight, you got to play tight. You know, if the schedule makers and the people who vote expect a tight game and you don't come out with a, a W, that's fine as long as you kept it tight. But if you're getting beat, like you said, 50 to zero, that that opens a lot of eyes. You know, in the sense of the distance between the true elite teams and everybody else. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely getting to that point now to where uh, even if you – especially if you look at the Pacific, all of those games just about were tight, just about. You know, you couldn't – there wasn't many that weren't tight except for some of San Diego's games. Uh, other than that, man, tight games, close games, you know, um, teams going undefeated like Denver. It's just, you know, everything is just getting better. Everything is just getting so much better in the league that you gotta you gotta elevate. Everybody just has to elevate. Coach uh, Karen, uh the excitement I think in this if we put it in scope for the WNFC, the Pacific mm. was brutal. The Pacific was brutal. Yeah. You, you know, San Diego, I really think in in my perspective, I really think San Diego thought that that schedule that they had was they dominated the teams, but when you look at the schedule they did not play a Utah. They did not play uh, teams that they could have played on that schedule. They probably played teams of, with lesser capacity. And I think maybe that was a factor when they faced Utah mm-hmm. because they weren't battle-tested enough and they got surprised in mm-hmm. terms of the triple option, not, not watching the triple option, not playing the triple option more than once in the season. When you get to that stage and you haven't faced the triple option, as an example, right, uh, right. you're a little bit, uh, basically behind the eight ball, and it really showed behind against, the eight ball, game against San Diego that Utah controlled the clock, which was really shocking yep. for for the uh, Rebellion, which normally controls the clock on in terms of their run game, in mm-hmm. terms of their schemes and their defense, mm-hmm. and they were not able to do that. Yeah, and it, it made them force the ball a little bit um, on offense. When they did get the ball, it made them force big shots, force things down the field, which is not typical of, San Diego, Ninja takes her time back there and she reads and she picks people apart. She, you know, but she seemed a little rushed that game. I'm not sure what it was. Um, but yeah, like you said, man, it's, it's, you got to have those teams on your schedule to keep you woke. Uh, a lot of people can just get low to sleep. A lot of people can just be, you know, put off as if, uh, man, I'm just going to run through everybody. We've been doing it week after week. You know, the new thing in the league is donuts. Everybody's putting up donuts, you know, Nobody's scoring points on me, blah, 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 blah. But it's, it's it's different when you face that one team when it matters, you know. The regular season is great, but when it matters, you got to be able to put the pedal to the metal and, like you say, not be behind the eight ball, you know, just watching football, watching these elite people and actually being able to play them, get your hands on them, coach against them. That should help you out way more. And, yeah, I just think Utah load them to sleep, you know, hit them with the triple option like they do so well, control the clock took advantage of the, tur- the turnovers, and, yeah, and they pulled out the victory. Now uh, I'm going to bring in Coach Terry Lister, who's probably in pain right now because I'm talking about how Denver got beat here. <laughs> Utah, so he's probably not going to be very yeah. happy with him right now. But, yeah. yeah, Coach Terry's <laughs> in the house, and he's, he's already iced. Yeah. He's been icing since that, since that game. 
<laughs> what's yeah. going on, Terry? So, what's up, Cameron? Good to talk to you, man. Um, Good to talk to you. So yeah, I said I said this last week too, Cameron. And Oscar just mm-hmm. he just won't let it go. So I I have to weekly remind him to just by saying, How dare you talk about that in my presence? Um but uh no, I'm just kidding man. It's uh it still feels fresh. Um I hate when, you know when you have that feeling where you felt like coaching contributed to a loss, a big loss like that. Um opportunities like that don't mm-hmm. come around very often and so it's it's tough to swallow, but just like anything else in life, you just have to mm-hmm. be permitted. Look, look towards the future and hope that you don't do it again. If you, you know, just Absolutely. like anything in life. Yeah. So it is what it is for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I was sitting beside Marcel and John, basically the mm-hmm. entire, um, the entire all pro weekend. We were just chilling with each other, man. And you could just see it eating them away. And I was like, yeah, I was all right. <laughs> you know, you know, I had a great season. Marcel won coach of the year. He just was mm-hmm. not happy. He just did not <laughs> give a crap. <laughs> he just was not happy. I was trying to cheer him up, man. But, you know, y'all did great, man. Denver did fantastic. Y'all did fantastic. Mm-hmm. That was a great season. Yeah, I mean, finishing 6-0 is, is, is obviously good. Um, we, we all, a lot of our games were close, closer than we, 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 what we would prefer. And so I feel like we, um, mm-hmm. you know, we just kind of were our own worst enemy. Um, with not scoring points mm-hmm. on offense and keeping so many games close. Um, and I think now that the, the championship's over, it's very clear to me, um, and we'll see if you guys agree, but it's very clear to me that Texas has a pretty big lead on everybody else. Um, but then the interesting thing is, in that second class of teams, um, like Mississippi and Denver, um, San Diego, Utah, you know, Atlanta, Alabama, um, Kansas City and Washington, for, for that matter. All those teams mm-hmm. are a step behind Texas, uh, maybe a leap behind Texas, um, but they're all competitive with each other. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of cool for us to play each other in that second tier of, of teams. Um, and it, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's you know it's good TV. It's, it's fun to watch. It's competitive. It's challenging for us all to play each other. But unfortunately, there's still a pretty big gap between us and Texas. We have to figure out how to yeah. fix that gap, and that's a, a tall one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you go first, Oscar, if you want to respond to it. Oh, no, I'm just saying uh, that he could have done better, and he could have probably not gotten beaten <laughs> in San Diego. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just rubbing it on. <laughs> just kidding, Terry. Uh, no, um, yeah. it's, it's just it's, it's reality, right, Coach Cameron? This is reality, like we were just talking about with the Atlanta overconfidence and didn't really show really well against – Texas. Um, I think Utah was battle tested, but I don't believe that Utah was, you know, uh, matched up pretty well. They got a young rookie squad. Uh, the matchups were probably overpowering. That's what I saw on the line. Defensively, uh, their gaps get them in. And then, you know, on the other side, there's just too many weapons. You know, Jackson and and, and you know and Landry and you know what I mean. It was just, just too many Shadow weapons. White, you just go down the list. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you just go down the list, man, and like you were saying, Terry, it's just well put together football, in my opinion, from Texas. Because the reason why you can go down that list is because they they get everybody involved. They get everybody involved. They move the ball well. They got good schemes. They, you know, and their adjustments, you know, I witnessed it firsthand this season. The adjustments that they make at halftime is just ridiculous. You know, most of the time, adjustments aren't even necessary. 
And uh, that's yeah. just the type of team that they have. So, but like you said, playing each other, playing these other games, it really lets you see, you know, how close some people are. And it's just going to be something. And when it happens, it's going to happen. Um, you know, I feel there's a lot of teams that can beat Texas. I definitely feel that. I'm really? not. I'm not. I don't think nobody. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I think this season showed parity getting closer. I think this season showed it's getting tighter. It showed just a small chink in the armor, not a big chink in the armor, but a small one, you know. And I think, <laughs> you know, and I'll say it proudly because I'm in the Atlantic. I'm in. I'm in the. I, yeah, I'll say it proudly. I'm in the Atlantic Conference, and I'll say it. Yeah. You know, I think Texas is Texas for a reason. I think they're 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 still the number one team in women's football. Period. But you know, mm. I, I I can't wait to see them again. I, I I like the competition. I like. I like playing them. Like I said, it's one of my favorite games always on our schedule. We played them in the playoffs last year, was absolutely not ready. Played them tight the first two quarters this season, and then he just blew the top off. Great adjustments in halftime. But like I said, man, every time every time we see them, I feel like just something else, something else is seen on my behalf, something else is seen when other teams play them. But it's just like you said, though, man, championship weekend is just different. They're just different come championship weekend because they're just zoned in. It's like Jordan. You know, you can beat him in the regular season, but he does not lose in the playoffs. It just don't happen. You know, once he figured it out, it just didn't happen. So it's, it's, that's going to be the toughest task, beating them when it matters. Terry, uh, yeah. what is your assessment of Utah in terms of you watched the game, I watched the game. I just thought that they were just young, too young. And then the matchups up on the lines were just overpowering. So I, I really think right. they played gritty. They were trying to do their triple option. Uh, you said Maccasini was going to be a factor, which she was. But at the same time, you know, OG, OG and company, I mean, they, they know how to close the gaps. And I really, it just forced them to be one-dimensional. And then you're forcing Galicia to throw the ball or make some plays, which she did. But at the bottom line, is it, it was just too much you know, in terms of uh, going up against them. Right. Yeah, so I would say to Camry's point, um, you know, there's nothing there's nothing that substitutes experience, and playing Texas um, is a very big learning experience for people. I mean, there's two ways to look at it. So before I answer Oscar's question, there's two ways to look at Texas and what Camry just said about the parity in the league. So one of two things is true. Number one, either he's right, and evidence of that is a 21-20 to 20 victory over the Alabama Fire. Then coming that close mm-hmm. to losing a game to Alabama Fire that doesn't have that many players. The other way to look at it mm-hmm. is the only time that Texas has a close game is when they, like, basically played their worst football, right? Like, whether they overlooked an opponent or they weren't prepared – or that not all their players traveled, or yada, 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 right? So there's two ways to look at it. Unfortunately for us, I would say that um, the counterpoint to what Camry said is when Texas needs to turn it on, they do turn it on. And so the way that they handled Atlanta, the way that they handled Utah in the championship lends me to say, as a logical person, it's more likely that when Texas needs to turn it on, they can blow any, any team in the WNFC out. Um, I think the only team that's in their mm-hmm. league in the nation is probably Boston Renegades. I'd love to see that game. It probably would never happen. Um, so, you know, it's 
you know, armchair quarterback answer about who would win that game. But uh, more importantly for our league, you know what I'm saying? I, I do feel like there's, there's been some, some steps in the right direction. Um, I'm, I'm honored to be on a team at Denver Bandits that is making steps in the right direction as far as, you know, having good numbers and having international players and having out-of-state players and just recruiting really good talent to compete. Um, but unfortunately, all that did for us this season was get us on the same plane as other teams in the West um, and not necessarily on the same plane as Texas. And so there's still still progress to be made, and um, I'm looking forward to, you know, that happening. I think it, I think I can't. I think Cameron's right. I think it will happen eventually. When it will happen is, is mm-hmm. debatable. Does it happen in three years, five years, ten years? I, I'm interested to see right. when these Texas players start retiring, how they look after that, mm-hmm. right? Because so, when That's I saw, be an when I question, Texas, Coach Camry, uh, when they retire. It's going to be kind of a recruitment shift for them, so I don't know if you know that's going to be a factor too because they haven't seen that in a long, long time. In four years, they mm-hmm. built this what you call monster, and then all of a sudden you're going to have you know an opportunity where players are going to obviously opt out. They're going to go into coaching and other things, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see mm-hmm. how they transition. Yeah, yeah, that is the most interesting part, and I think that's the part that really is giving most teams even a chance just some of the players are just getting up there in their careers um i don't really feel it's just because you know texas doesn't play their best football i feel if i know oj the way i think i know oj i think he's probably crazy a little bit when it comes to being ready for a game so um i just think some of the players man they, they've just been playing for so long eventually the body will you know stop doing what it does and when they retire when they get, um, you know, just out of the game of football, maybe go to coaching like Terry was saying, then it'll be interesting. But I, I, I think, you know, they're smart. I think they're already planning for that now. I think they probably started planning for that two years ago. And that's why I say you see some of the second-string players coming off the bench who are even ridiculous, you know. So I think they definitely have a game plan for it. And you can see them grooming players up as you play them and as you watch more games. You know, they put in some of the younger pieces. They put in some of the newer pieces. And you see them trying to get them ready for that time when that time comes. So I believe they'll be fine. But I do believe, like I said, I do believe people are getting closer to them than what the scores will say. The games sometimes say a little different. And uh, like I said, though, Texas to me is postseason Texas. Uh, that's when That's when they're terrifying. They have no blemishes in the postseason. And that's just, you know, that's when they wake up, and it's just ridiculous. Yeah. It was basically a clinic motion in a lot of ways uh, with all the, like, the spreading the ball and getting up the, you know, shutting down the run game. It was really impressive to see. So it's an opportunity for a lot of the teams to get better, and that's just, like you said, the offseason work starts now, and that's where people are going to have to gauge as to how competitive you're going to get there. If you get to the final and you know that they are the ones that you're facing in the final – it's it's literally a game planning from week one to week eight just to get to the final understanding that you are going to be challenged at, at your utmost in terms of the finals at, at this point. We know San Diego has, uh, last year. Mm-hmm. They knew what, you know, they got shocked, and they, they understand what it's all about. You got Utah twice facing them, you know, uh, very competitive the first year, now this year as well. So we already know those two teams are probably understanding what they are up against. Um Let's talk about the, the, the Lady Panthers. Let's talk about Housen, mm-hmm. Jackson, 
Um, okay. A little bit of an evolution, mm-hmm. Coach, in the second half for you in terms of having Housen mm-hmm. run the offense and uh, Jackson on, mm-hmm. the, on, on the perimeters and making changes. Uh, there was also uh, Ida that came through for you. So there was, a, like, a, I saw mm-hmm. a little, like, I talked to Amanda when we interviewed her. I saw a, if you would have mm-hmm. had another four weeks, we probably would have seen a different Lady Panthers team in terms of an offense because you guys were starting mm-hmm. to click with some receivers. The offense was the the first half of the offense just was I don't know it just wasn't clicking it's it's like they were you know right there some balls were right there some plays were right there just I don't know it's just the look of the draw I guess but yeah like you were saying moving Regina around was deadly to me that was to me uh, one of the X factors of our game having an athlete and um, like Regina Jackson on your roster is just ridiculous you can do so much with her. Half of the stuff y'all seen is not half, not even close to the stuff we've seen her do at practice. So she's just one of those people. And, um, you know, being able to move her around, you're going to have to account for her. People are going to have to overload what she is and double team and do whatever, spy on her because she's Regina. You know, she, she makes things happen. Out of nothing most of the time she makes things happen. And uh, having Amanda on the roster helped tremendously because of what I just said. So many people just – Literally just zoom in on Regina, stack the box if she's behind the quarterback. They just try to blitz her. They just try to take her so much out of the game that now we can move her around, can, can relax her, can put her here, can put there, and put pressure on the on the defenses because she might get the ball, she might not. You really don't know. And like you said, you know, Ida Edwards is always going to be somebody on our team who's reliable, uh, somebody who's going to get the ball moving down the field as well. And uh, we're really working on our backfield with uh, Julia Shropshire, uh, English Bennett is still – she's just banged up, man. I, I really hate that leg. Just didn't heal in time for the season. But she'll be back next season, back to full strength. I'm positive of it because she let it relax for the rest of the season. So our offense will be back to full strength. And uh, going back to our original head coach, he's done playing um, football now. He wanted to take some time away. We're going back to our original head coach, so you'll see a lot more of our former thing, a lot more things to get the ball moving a little bit so in a different way. Are ready for the prowl in 2023. <laughs> Absolutely, it's going to be a lot different. I don't want to put too much out there, but it's going to be a lot different. Like I said, you know, uh, this season was this season was a was a disappointing season for us. Definitely, uh, we don't like going 500. That's not the team we are. We expect to be in the playoffs every single year. Period. Nothing else really matters. Uh, but like I said, next season it'll look a lot different. Next season will look a lot different. Trust me, Coach. Um, Housen in the middle, she always has a tendency to run, but somehow you guys made mm-hmm. her a more a pocket quarterback. And the arm, she does have a, a decent arm to throw the ball. So mm-hmm. uh, that was, for me, mm-hmm. that was very surprising that you guys put that scheme together in terms of, uh, you know, the elusiveness where the players were so, I mean, the, the opposite, the op- opponents were so used to Regina Jackson with the mobility stage that I think they didn't anticipate mm-hmm. the last two weeks of the season where uh, Housen could stay in the pocket. And that's where you saw the productivity between her and Ida. Yeah. And even if you look at that last drive, man, that drive in Atlanta, when RJ and Amanda got in the game together, it was just beautiful. Like they just they just drove down the field and I was like, Yep, yeah, this is this is the future. This should be the future. Because no matter like I said, no matter where you put Regina, she's gonna be Regina. You can put her at the as the kicker. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure she'll be an all pro kicker. She's just ridiculous, man. I, I can't give that woman enough praise. Uh, but like I said, Amanda, 
a lot of people don't, you know, they don't associate Amanda with running and things like that because you got a Regina. But Amanda definitely can move the ball. She can move the ball pretty well. She knows when to run. She knows how to run when she does run. And she even did it in the All-Pro game this weekend uh, and got a good, you know, I'm not sure if it was 15, 20-yard game, but she was gone. She knows when to run. She knows when to pull it. Uh, but she definitely prefers to be a pocket passer and just sit back there and get her teammates involved and, you know, move the ball yeah, incrementally. And like I said, man, just having somebody to finally take the pressure off of Regina to finally just say, hey, teams just can't blitz 10 people anymore and just try to hit her. And, you know, that's that's just a relief off our back. At least it was for this season. I just think with time, with, uh, you know, getting everything just solidified, the plans that we have in motion already in this off season, I think you'll see a, a big difference in the Panthers. It, that that loss against KC, I think, was probably the defining factor for you guys making the playoffs. You win against KC there. I really think at the end of the season, uh, you know, the WFRC would have probably squeezed you guys in into the into the final into the final in the in, in Atlantic. So I- interesting to see, you know. But to the, to your point, uh, sure. KC obviously defensively was very stout. So there's the difference there. Yeah, yeah, it was a great game, man. It was just a great game. I can't. I can't uh, give KC enough credit. It was just a great game. We we could have pulled it off. Uh, one more touchdown, maybe the two-point conversion playing out for us. It would probably be a different conversation in the sense of the playoffs. But it is what it is. You live and you learn. We'll be back next season. All right. Um, Coach, the, the Global Initiative program that you instituted, obviously one of the first programs yes. in the whole league that most that majority of the other teams are following, like Denver followed it. There's a couple other teams that uh, instituted some of that. Is that something that mm-hmm. going into the off season, are you guys addressing that with OJ in terms of how to set up a better setup to acquire international talent at this point to house them and to yeah. maybe make an arrangement that way as well with visas and, you know, all the other stuff that comes into play when they're coming in here for a short stay. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's, it's something that um, I know OJ wanted to do. I know she had been talking about WNFC Global and things of that nature, and uh, I won't say that we're the first. I always give that credit to the Seattle Majestics. They had um, a lot of overseas players before us. It's just I think we really just put the the initiative behind it to say, hey, we're going to make this something that we do for a long time and make it purposeful, make it something to purposely spread this league, spread uh, you know WNFC brand football across the nation and across the country internationally. Uh, I even got a trip to Australia where I'm going to go over there and try to meet with the Gridiron Australia League and their board to make this more seamless, help players get over, you know, accommodation and, um, you know, lodging and things of that nature. So, like I said, man, me and OJ, we've talked about it. She's already put a board together. And uh, like you said, Terry and Denver and those guys, they, they've they had, um, I think, four or five. I want to say, how many was it, Terry? Was it five international players this year? Yeah, somewhere around there. We had we had almost the exact same number as uh, international players right. as out of state players, and it was around five or six. Right. Yeah. And you know, and that's big, man. I just I just like the fact the league is growing. You know, I don't want to be known as the guy who made it up because I'm not. International players wanted to play before the Panthers existed. It's just I'm glad to be in a league to where we can offer them something to where they can come over. And the GPP is just something that's going to keep growing. Uh, we had a lot of good talks this weekend about how we can grow it, about how we can make it better with some um, people that I met this weekend at All Pro Weekend. And uh, I just want to keep growing it. I just want to keep growing it. And whatever we can do for each other league-wise 
to get these players over here, even if they don't want to play for me. You know, if they want to play for Denver, for example, and go up there, mm-hmm. you know, I love to give Terry, Marcel, John a call and say, hey, we've got girls coming over. What can we do to help them out? You know, yeah. that would just be perfect for me, and I just like it. I really yeah, think it has to be too. kind of a, a league-wide initiative because it's just going to benefit all the teams if they have international talent to acquire, and it, it really helps. I mean, Phoenix had a lot of Mexican players cross the borders uh, from the middle part right. of Mexico. You had uh, international players mm-hmm. from Australia, your point, on your side, on your behalf. We had even players from Canada, the two Canada, couple Canada players that came up north uh, to play for Texas as well. So there, there was an, yeah. an interest to where – Players are seeing the value of the league. And, and being visible, Coach, I think that is a bonus. I know we've had that visibility mm-hmm. before, you know, on a YouTube screen, but to be visible for eight weeks straight on an international Absolutely. platform, to be on Vire, that's just an incentive mm-hmm. for them because the bottom line is they're going to be watched internationally at home, back home, and they're going to be able to be, mm-hmm. you know, some of the impactful players that are going to be seen in terms of the brand. So the op- the opportunity is there for, yeah. you know, when the sponsors see that, they did, they're not seeing just U.S. players. They're seeing, obviously, a, a uh, influx of international players to participate in the league. Absolutely. And, Terry, you want to piggyback off that one? You want to take that one? Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. Um, it's, like Henry said, uh, the league's awesome. The, um, the interest from players overseas, you know, in the, in the U.S. has been phenomenal. Um, I'm excited for the future. I'm excited to see, you know, when we're able to catch up to Texas. And so um, all this is exciting. This is all stuff I've never experienced before, um, which isn't meant as a slight to the WFA. Um, but I've personally never been on a team that has had really good numbers in 11 v 11 at practice and, you know, a handful of out-of-state players and a handful of international players. Those are all things I've never experienced. So, um, mm-hmm. Now that I have experienced it, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm feeling a little bit spoiled, so I'm just eager for more of it. Oh, right. I'm okay. like, yeah, right. man, like, yep. let, me, let me times that by two for next year. So hopefully we can, um, and hopefully it, exactly. is, uh, kind of the, it becomes the norm. You know what I mean, that would be nice if it just becomes the norm for all WNFC teams. Yeah, exactly, man. And that's, that's, that's what I would love to see is these international players come from all types of countries on all types of teams and uh, mm-hmm. be able to, you know, play this sport that we all love because, like you said, it's just dope. It gets you excited. It makes you want more. But it spoils you at the same time. Like you said, man, You now you don't expect anything less, which is good. It makes you want to stay at that point, makes you want to stay at that peak to where, uh, like Oscar was saying, you know, having Vire Network in your back pocket, these women are seeing it now. You know, we've streamed it. Right. I want to. I forgot how many countries they said we streamed in, but I know it was over nine, things like 19 different countries. So that's crazy mm-hmm. to think that that many people are, you know, watching women's football, taking this interest in women's football and want to come be a part of it. From France to Brazil, y'all have some Brazilians, some U.K. players, Canadians, Mexicans, Australians. It's just ridiculous, man. So that's just proof to me that this league is on the right track even more. And I knew they were always on it. Coach Cameron, uh, you were at that first initial stage of the branding, you understand the the factor because you're an owner as well. So where do you mm-hmm. think we go next year in terms of, you know, the brand elevating themselves in terms of the ownerships, not just, you know, not the coaching ranks, but the ownership level. Is, is this a focus 
where it's, it's, you know, the branding is now a focus because I know when I talked to OJ, that was really the goal is to make the brand stand out on itself. And I think in the last uh, two yes. years, this year, I think more so than anything, with the weekend event that they've set up in terms of the panels, in terms of the, you know, flag interest, in terms of the all-pro game, uh, you know, et cetera, obviously being at the star, that's a, like a, a step up, right? It's an NFL uh, arrangement Absolutely. type mentality. Um, where do you think as owners in terms of the league, because we've seen this shift every year where the teams mm-hmm. that come in and some teams are obviously not ready for this. And, uh, it, and I was told by her, if they're not ready to, to meet the standards that is set before the season kickoffs, you will not participate in this league and you will be let go or be put out of the league, which I think in, in a business right. sense, that is a major difference that when we've had in the past where we've had recreational mentality where now we have a revenue mentality where if that, team, that league, that team, or that staff, or that ownership isn't going to be committed to an eight-week successful you know, schedule, then you don't need them. That's literally the bottom line. Right. Yeah, man, and the branding of it all, the, the importance, I feel, uh, and I'll let Terry piggyback off me if he wants to. Um, the importance of your brand, I feel, this league has really, really pushed and exemplified, especially with All Pro Weekend. Me being an owner, man, me, my brand is paramount. Everything about my brand, everything about my players playing under my brand, to me that comes first. And uh, being on, being in the star, being at the star, it just kind of sort of re-solidifies what OJ and them are trying to do about your businesses. We should see every team as a part of a brand and as a brand itself, you know, just seeing the star everywhere, you know, and you don't have to know exactly what it is. You know that's the Dallas Cowboys star, and it's everywhere in Texas. It's just everywhere. And it's so big, it's so important, and, you know, and these people respect it, these people love it because of what it what it means. It's more than just football. It means a lot. Yeah. It's bringing money into people's pockets. It's providing jobs like that whole little shopping center in the and the star, you know, that's all from a football team. You know, this is all from a football team. And branding to me is paramount. What we can do with our brands as coaches, as owners, as our people who are part of this league as the WNFC and the WNFC themselves who just keep pushing the the boundaries of what uh women's football league should be, should offer, should expect, should produce. These teams, we have to stay up. We have to catch up with them. We can't slip. We can't slack because we all know the WNFC will let you go quick. They don't care. They expect excellence. They expect you to stay, you know, where you are, and they expect you to stay, at least keep up with them and the vision. So, yeah, man, I, I pray to God, Brandon, for every owner is the first priority. You know, what is your team about? What What is, you know, what is it known for? What is it marketed for? What type of players do you get? What's your culture? You know, so I feel Brandon is, it's going to be paramount in these next couple of years. Yeah, I um, I definitely agree. I think uh, Camry may have have drank more of the Kool Aid than I have. So, um, so <laughs> well, it's <laughs> really totally fine. Yeah. He's fresh off star. Yeah, he's fresh off All Pro Weekend, so that's fine. Um, but no, I mean, <laughs> the, the facts are the facts, right? The WNFC what they've been able to accomplish in just three or four years is unprecedented in women's football is, is from my experience. Um, 
I've never seen our league be able to acquire the sponsorships they've been able to. Like you guys have said, having all their all their games streamed live on fire is unprecedented. Um, the exposure for the league, just the, the the brand, basically, for lack of a better word, like like Cameron said, the brand is just at a higher level. And when they have the catchphrase "step your game up," they mean it in every mm-hmm. single way possible. They mean it in, you know, being as serious as Camry is about branding. They mean it as far as you know how many players you have on your roster, how good those players are, how good your coaches are, um, how competitive you can be in every game, regardless of who you're playing. They mean it in every way possible. Step your game up, and so um, the good news is. Most teams have done that, in my in my opinion. Most teams have set, set their game up since they joined the league. Um, mm-hmm. So now the last step is just bridging that gap between us and Texas because, um, you know, as the championship game showed, uh, they're, they're, a, they're a powerhouse. And so mm-hmm. there's still some work to be done. But um, we're all heading the right direction, or most of us are. That's upsetting. All right, so Coach, uh, thank you for making the time. I really appreciate it. I know la- uh, last-minute notice. I know you're coming off of Dallas and all that, but I really wanted to bring you on because I wanted to get a perspective from an owner, perspective from obviously a coach firsthand, mm-hmm. and then obviously the opportunity there for the 2023 season to be as successful as this one. And I know there's a lot of things in the works from what I'm told that are a lot of things are coming up down the pipeline because they're already, you know, into a business sense because when you're in a business sense, you're, you're thinking 12 months, 12 months out. And there's obviously relationships right. that are being aired out and things that are being arranged and things like that. So um, I really think mm-hmm. the Dick sporting goods aspect of it, I really think is unique and it's really cool to have it a nationwide retail chain. And once uh, the brand itself, you know, starts to, uh, make the arrangements where maybe you get uh, the merchandise just like the WNBA has done with Dick Sporting Goods in terms of select markets, uh, I think it's going to take the, you know, the league revenue to another level because that's literally going to be, you know, market access for, for fans that did not even understand that the, lady, uh, the Mississippi Lady Panthers exist, right, in, in, the, in those areas. Right. Once it's branding, right. it's going to be right. a, basically a surprise. Yep. Yeah, man, uh, I appreciate you for having me on, man. It's always good talking to you, you and Terry. Uh, you know, I do both of you guys' podcasts, and it's always great talking to y'all, man. And, um, so, you know, I appreciate it. I always make time for it. It doesn't matter. Uh, so, yeah, just let me know. Hey, Thank Oscar, you, Coach. I, I really appreciate you no, coming on. Can I, ask him, can I ask him one more nosy question before he gets off? Yeah, go ahead. Of course. All right, I appreciate it. Okay. All right, so, Cameron, my, my one nosy question for you is you said – Mississippi will be in the playoffs next year. You can't wait. There's going to be, you know, changes made. You were, you know, um, vague about it, but I, I like I like what you're saying. So my question for you is, for the Mississippi Panthers of 2023, how much do you mm-hmm. know about that incoming roster and coaching staff? Because for for me here in Denver, <clears throat> there's a lot of uh, moving pieces. You know what I mean? I know some pe- some coaches won't be back. Some players won't be back for different reasons. Um, but how clear is that on your side? Is it is it mostly clear, or is it a lot of gray area, or how does that look as of right now? Well, when it comes to players, I always give mm-hmm. the players time to digest. You know, this isn't their um, this isn't their primary focus. They still got to work. They still got to do things like that. So I always just leave right. that 
for after the, after the season is freshly over, I let them make that decision. I let them say, hey, I want to come back, coach. I want to do this. If they don't, you know, I understand. It's not at that level yet where I can change their lives and not, you know, just pay them outright. And now you right. come play for me for the rest of the season, rest of your life. So for players, yeah. for me, I never, I never answer those questions until around November-ish, maybe December-ish. Okay. But coaches, I know that my uh, my head coach this season, he retired. He's an older guy. He's just been doing football his whole life. He don't, you know, he just retired. So uh, my co-owner, actually, Steven Jackson, is taking back over the Rams of head coach next season. And okay. um, so I know that the coaching staff is going to be different. I know the coaching staff is going to shake up. Some people will return. Uh, he's going to bring in a new crew, a new younger crew. He and myself mm-hmm. are both young guys. So, you know, we run a little bit younger style football. We like, a, you know, we like to spread the ball out a little bit more. Uh, so <laughs> I know that – Go. I'm sorry? Yeah, but- you saying younger younger style football mix it up, and uh, right 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 right. Yeah. yeah yeah yeah. And so yeah, uh, when it comes to roster, I never really answer those questions until closer to well, I'd say the beginning of the year after I do my tryouts right. and things like that because you know anything can happen, man. I can say I got a loaded roster, then people get hurt, people lose interest, people get a new job in this league, people get pregnant because these are women. Uh, so yeah. you know. It's just a lot of different things, man, that can take a player away from you without you even expecting it. So I'm just waiting to see yeah. what happens. I'm giving them some time to digest, detox, and then, you yeah. know, come around November. If you have me on the podcast, I can let you know that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I was just curious because you guys had those those handful of international players. So I wasn't sure, if, right. you know, since, since they are, you know, coming from a different country, if it's pretty obvious if they'll be back or not or, the, or they're kind of on the mm-hmm. same page with the players here. Which just is kind of a a coin toss, right? Yeah, I know um, my international players. We've spoke, uh, you know, we spoke a lot about them coming back. It's just always that factor, man. Like I said, it's just we just got to work on different ways, different methods to make it more comfortable for them when they come. We just learn every year. This is our first year doing it. Uh, We made it work, and it actually worked pretty well. Um, The girls were lovely. I never met. I never have met players that made me love football more than those international Australians, man. They are just perfect. They're perfect mm-hmm. for what you want in the sense of a player. And um, they were here yeah. on business, and you could tell that they were here on business. So um, it's been a lot of talks in that regard, but we're still, like I said, still so fresh. They, most of them just got done playing all pro game. Just going to let them detox for a while, and then we'll have those conversations probably back starting back around August. I'll let them take about yeah. a month off before I start, you know, being annoying with text messages and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but right. it's going to happen. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Always a pleasure. Always, man, always. Like I said, Oscar, I appreciate you for having me on, man. Uh, yeah, let's just see what 2023 looks like. I'm excited about it. It started right now, so I'm excited about it. All right, looking forward to the Panthers, uh, you know, making a playoff push in 2023. That's what we're looking for. So appreciate it again, Coach. I uh, have safe travels back home and – uh Looking forward to the the new season. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Y'all have a great one. All right. See you, Kenny. All right. All right, Terry. So there you go. I got to bring in the coach. Uh, Who better to bring in than Coach Veal because he's in the know and he's one of the the top people that was, you know, in the branding stages of this league. And he's one of the key owners that created initiatives for international acquisitions. So, um, you know, that's the, the voice that you can talk to besides, you know, the leadership at the WNFC for the most part. But what a, uh, what a great weekend uh, he brought together for us and uh, gave us the insights on there as well. Uh, let's bring in the uh, mm-hmm. Oracle of 
Women's Tackle Football, Mark Simone in the house. So, Mark, uh, what a great uh, weekend. Uh, the final wasn't as good as we thought, but, you know, like Coach says, a uh, uh, lot of work to do in terms of the WNFC teams to get to that elite level. Yeah, it was a great conversation, and, um, you know, I, I liked a lot about what I heard, and, you know, particularly Terry, um, you know, pointing out the fact that, the set, you know, underneath the Texas elite are a lot of teams that are competitive with each other, and uh, that's that's really awesome to see. Um, obviously, that makes this regular season uh, and the playoffs more exciting, and, and now it's just a matter of, of – leveling up to uh to texas and um finding ways to do that um you definitely have to you know you have to leverage whatever advantages that that you can have and you know coach veal uh with uh you know reaching out to these australian players um with one season under the belt you said it went pretty well although you know it was just the first season doing this you know that that can send ripples out and, you know, um, we know that those players are going to say, hey, yeah, you know, I had a really, you know, great experience. And, you know, if you want to do it, um, well, you should, you know, you should come with me next year. Um, so, you know, things like that can, you know, really take you up to the next level. Um, so it was a really great interview. and um, uh, You know, certainly excited for, for next season even though the final just happened there in the WNFC. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how uh, the transition happens with uh, Utah, the transitions in terms of uh, the other teams, the Pacific teams, of course, uh, see what the schedule is going to be, whether they're going to go into, you know, more of a rivalry type of schedule, which I I did message uh, uh, OJ about it, how, you know, the Pacific is obviously already competitive, but how can they make it more competitive, which is, you know, San Diego taking on Vegas, San Diego taking on Denver, you know, more in-season competition as an example. Uh, maybe, yeah. the, uh, you know, Phoenix taking on L.A. more often, uh, Phoenix taking on Oregon, you know, that kind of deal. So we're, it, the, the topper-level teams are going to be more inclined, ever, you know, in-season in to compete with each other. So we'll see how they, you know, they rearrange the schedule in terms of the Pacific at this point. Um, but, you know, hats off to uh, Utah. Hats off to Sarah. Hats off to uh, the Falcons for, you know, upsetting two undefeated teams along the way. And, we knew there was going to be a tough battle. Uh, we talked about it last podcast. Uh, you guys were, you guys were on the money. I, I was on the the homer mentality, which is rooting for uh, Custis. But you know, after the first two quarters or so at half, I, I kind of realized that obviously that was not going to be the case. And uh, we we already knew that you know going in at this point. And so it was just a just a factor there. Um, Mark, uh, the other uh, Cinderella type mentality that we thought we were going to get is in Canada. And that was uh, Jamie Lamberton's, uh, uh, which is also the commissioner of the WWCFL. Uh, that was her last game as a Saskatoon Valkyrie. Uh, you can get the article right there from uh, Darren Stanky up north. Uh, so the 36-6 uh, defeat of the Manitoba Fearless, what an impressive bunch as well. It's kind of like a Utah story here with a lot of rookies, an up-and-coming uh, roster with a lot of the girls from the uh, Manitoba Girls Football Association as alumni. So uh, an, an interesting uh, season for the Manitoba Fearless to get to the final, to face one of the elite teams in terms of the Canadian uh, League and seven-time champion now in terms of the uh, WWCFL. Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly while, you know, it's a story of its own that, uh, you know, Saskatoon is, 
um, you know, won seven titles uh, since 2011, I think, when they were formed. You know, that Manitoba, Manitoba has really come up, right? I mean, they had to get past the likes of the Calgary Rage and uh, the Regina Riot. You know, these are teams that are, you know, year in and year out, pretty tough teams. And, um, you know, uh, but Manitoba has definitely put together a, uh, a, a good squad. And, you know, this was their first trip to the final. And, you know, I, I think their future is very bright. Um, unfortunately, the final, you know, wasn't particularly competitive at 36 to 6. But, you know, um, I, I think everybody can be pretty excited uh, for the Manitoba Fearless uh, in their, you know, their outlook for the future. It was an impressive game. Uh, shout out to Alex uh, uh, Eagleson, if I'm correct, pronouncing her name right. I, I think Eagleson. If I'm right, it's E-Y-O-L-F-S-O-N. So, Alex, if I'm pronouncing it incorrectly, I apologize. Uh, it was her and, obviously, veteran receiver uh, Ricky Obed uh, in the first, uh, you know, before halftime. They really took control of it, 14-0. Then they went up 20-0. to And then it literally just became a one-sided matchup, 26-0 to after that. Um, so it was just a one-sided matchup at this point. They get uh, The Fearless did get the score late. I believe in the fourth quarter when uh, quarterback Madison Sawicki hit uh, Morgan Morfett with an eight-yard touchdown uh, toss. So that was the 36-6 victory. Uh, so, Mark, Saskatoon uh, wins seven out of ten championships right now. So at ten years in the league, they've won seven out of ten. So very impressive, kind of like Texas Elite in a lot of ways. The only other team to be in that conversation would be the Regina Riot within that span. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, we got to remember that the WWCFL, um, you know, uh, they lost two seasons due to COVID. So, um, mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, it's basically winning all but one of those championships uh, for the Saskatoon Valkyries. Um, but, you know, I, I did get a chance to watch uh, some of that game. And, um, it's you know, it's Canadian football, Canadian-style football, so it's, it's – it's very fast, and I was really quite impressed, really, with the the pace and the athleticism of, of everybody on that field. So, um, you know, I, I look forward to um, seeing seeing more uh, as the years go on. Now, you guys get a, a kind of a fact fact: the, the Valkyrie had never won at home on their own home field in their in their six championships prior to that. They had always won on the road. Kind of interesting, right? And they finally win one at home. Well, that's nice, I guess, for a change of pace. So that's a fact right there that I was uh, told by Darren Stanky that they had not won on home field in their six previous championships, so that's pretty cool. I uh, get the article yeah. right there, the breakdown of the game uh, by our Darren Stanky up there who covers the WCFL for us. Uh, awesome job uh, on his blog. So I appreciate uh, Darren doing his part there uh, to bring attention to the WCFL. And, Mark, the other game was in <laughs> – Nova Scotia, and four overtimes in the heat. And I talked to a couple of the players in terms of the St. John Storm against the Halifax Explosion, and they had to call the game because of heat exhaustion after four overtimes, 10-10. So it is the first tie in the Maritime as co-champions. Pretty pretty, uh, exciting at the same time, but kind of disappointing, I guess, for both teams. But bottom line is uh, player safety was at the end of it. 
Well, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that they even got through four overtime periods uh, in the heat that they were experiencing is uh, pretty, uh, you know, I don't know if there's a word for it, if that's impressive or just, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to believe. It's almost incredible that they, they played, you know, eight quarters of, of football in like, you know, high 80, low 90 degree heat. So, you know, of course it, it you know, you, you want to lead, you know, have a championship determine who that, who that, that there's one champion, you want a winner to the game. But I understand, you know, calling the game in that um, circumstance. And quite frankly, both those teams, I think earned the right to say that like they played like champions. Right. So, um, it's certainly a unique thing that happened and uh, one that won't be forgotten for, for some time. Uh, Terry, I mean, four overtimes, and you've got to call it because of heat exhaustion. I mean, it just, it's just so it is what it is. So, but shout out to both teams, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's crazy. I mean, you, you, playing a full game is in the heat is one thing. Playing an overtime game is another thing. Playing a four-overtime game, is like literally playing two games consecutively, um, which is just crazy. So at a certain point, you you just start to worry about the players because you don't want anybody to, you know, have any like injuries or you know heat strokes or pass out or anything. So that's I mean, shout out to them for completing you know playing playing that long, but that's that's definitely not. Thankfully, that doesn't happen very often. Let's put it that way. All right, so guys, uh, that's it, man. Look at this. What a final and, and two two championships in Canada, Terry. Plus, we got the championship in Texas, and on top of that, we have WFA round two. So we did not expect Mile High to get over Houston. That was really what we talked about the last podcast. We thought Houston was going to be up for this game. They did not disappoint. Twelve to six. They've played each other very hard. Uh, Mark Mile High finally gets over the hump, and they uh, they arrive in Canton. Now they got to face Derby, which is almost as eager as anybody. And we talked to Thelma on our last podcast. She's ready for a Nevada-type ending, which is a D3 championship, now staple a D2 championship. Yeah, well, you know, uh, congratulations to the Blaze um, on, on winning. You know, not only did they, they reach the final, which they, you know, have wanted to do now for a long time, but, you know, they got past uh, the Houston Energy, a team that has handed them uh, defeats in the past. But it was, um, you know, it was Mile High's year this year. Uh, they got over twice on the Energy, uh, once here in the, in the Conference Championship. So uh, kudos to the Blaze. Uh, the Blaze better be expecting another physical game um, from the National Conference representatives in the Derby City Dynamite. And it was very timely to... Uh, be talking with them in, in the previous podcast. Um, so they are a very physical team. I, I think we're going to see a very, very hard fought game. I think this is going to be a very good final. Um, uh, so, you know, so, so that's good. Um, you know, Derby city uh, handled uh, the Baltimore Nighthawks, um, you know, pretty decisively. Um, it, it wasn't a, a total blowout, but um, you know, Derby City just, you know, just took control of the game and held on to it. Um, 
and it, there wasn't much question uh, by the fourth quarter. So um, they're looking very strong. So I expect this to be a very, very tough game for my hot plays. Terry, you saw the Blaze firsthand against uh, Houston there. Uh, what's, what's your uh, you know analysis at this point going up against Derby? Derby, a little bit more uh, high-powered offense. Uh, defense was a little bit better in a lot of ways. So I don't know if, you know, Baltimore just, you know, underestimated Derby, but bottom line is they did they did get routed 40 to, uh, 40 to 12. Well, uh, Mile High did have to kind of like, you know, earn it to get to Canton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, man. You know, since I haven't been able to watch Baltimore, you know, I haven't watched them at all this year. I haven't watched them on film. I don't know the dynamics of their team. I, I heard that their star running back was injured. I think she just had surgery, actually, Shea Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. And so that's obviously a, a big loss on offense. Um, but since I haven't been able to watch them and I haven't watched Derby City this year either, it's kind of hard to say, you know, give an opinion about how good they are or, or how physical they are, et cetera. Um, but what I can say is I was at the um, the game here in Denver, and Houston is a good team. They're a well-coached team but they don't have that good of numbers. And so what I saw in the game on Saturday was when, you know, there's players getting injured or whatever. Um, uh, the coach told me there were some players with attitude problems, you know, that, um, you know, just silly stuff on the sidelines. When you have stuff like that where players aren't able to come back in the game or aren't coming back in the game because, you know, um, they're not being coachable, they, they basically don't have the numbers to – like weather that storm, right? So if you have better numbers, yeah. you can have injuries or whatever happens, and it, it's not going to necessarily lose the game for you. Um, but unfortunately for Houston, their numbers aren't there this year. And so um, it was a good game. You know, 12-6 to 6 is a one-score game. Um, I, I wouldn't say it could have went either way because Houston kind of felt like they weren't as productive on offense as um, the Blaze, and their defense was playing tough. Um, but then also, you know, obviously the Blaze had two deep passes for touchdowns. And so, um, you know, the, the Blaze won the game fair and square. I'm very intrigued to see how they match up against Derby City. Derby City sounds like a physical team, um, and they they handled Baltimore. So they have a lot of positive momentum going on, and um, I'm, I'm interested to see how it plays out. All right, guys, you guys can get all this stuff on the at the Hub, the links to some of the live streams that we had on the games there as well. So check it out. Uh, Derby City also had a live stream there against Baltimore. Uh, Mark, we said Capital City was going to be here, and they do punch it in. We talked about how Carolina had to elevate their game. And so uh, Capital, last uh, what, a couple stretches of the last weeks, really impressive, and they just uh, they route Carolina 42-6. to They're going up against what we thought was going to be Arizona and not going to be Arizona. It's going to be Lady Force, and the Lady Force only give up a safety out of the whole game, that defense, a safety uh, was given up, and they put up 24 points. So impressive win they, to stay undefeated, and they go to Canton to try to see if they can punch it in. Yeah, you know, um, you know, both of these, uh, the scores I think are kind of surprising, although maybe not the outcomes. Um, I was I was thinking the Capital City uh, Carolina game would would be a little bit closer. I think it was, if, if my memory is right, you know, it was still pretty close at halftime. Um, I'll have to go back on that. But, you know, uh, 42 to 6, 
I mean, I, I picked I, I picked Capital City. I expected them to win. Um, I didn't I didn't see it coming that they were going to uh, put up 42 points and uh, you know hold the Phoenix to six. So so that's a very impressive win uh, for the Savages. Now out west, um, you know, with Arizona's you know Arizona's offense was so good last year. It's surprising that the only points that they scored was by their defense, a safety. It's hard to wrap my head around, but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, Oklahoma City's offense has been pretty good this year, and uh, I, I think 24 points is, is not the highest amount of points that they've scored this year. So it seems to me like, you know, Arizona put a pretty good fight up on, on defense, but they were unable to produce it, uh, points on offense. So that tells me that the Lady Force defense is, is probably pretty good. Um, this will be, I, I think, the final now between these two teams will, will might be a low-scoring game. I think it might be more of a defensive battle. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of like looking into that because I, we talked about how Capital City being a little battle-tested towards the end of the season, and then OKC basically storming through and having a great season so far. So we got a six and O team taking a four and two uh, very competitive team. So interesting uh, that you, to your point out, the defense is really probably will be the keys here. Yeah, I think so. And it, you know, it's, uh, it, it's very interesting that every final uh, at every level here in the WFA has, has a team with, with uh, losses. A lot of times it's like undefeated teams that end up in the final um, but in, you know, in this case, uh, in D3, it's, uh, the, the savages with, with two losses on their record. And sometimes when, you know, when a team has, has taken a loss or two in the regular season, it, it's kind of to their benefit in a way, um, in the playoffs because they know what that feels like and they don't want to let it happen again. So, I mean, I, I think there might be, you know, uh, some kind of mental attitude that that team can have when they head into the playoffs. Of course, if you're undefeated rolling into the playoffs, well, you know, you can have that attitude of, of you know, feeling invincible. Um, so it'll be certainly a, uh, an interesting final there in Division Three. Terry, uh, Minnesota, we knew this is home field advantage. Uh, we said, you know, Wiggins had to be part of that conversation. Cali did put up a good fight. Uh, they did pretty much stay toe-to-toe with everybody, but Barber and Kelly just really put it out there. There was no Cooper, but uh, Minnesota offensively did play a better matchup. Defensively, uh, Cali was able to score, so a, they get edged here. Um, I think uh, late scores, two late scores by Cali kept it almost close here to maybe, uh, I wouldn't say an upset, but they basically did, did be uh, were competitive uh, majority of the game, so it was a good battle between two teams, and now Minnesota will advance uh, for the rematch. Yeah, um, I was interested to see how, see how that game would go. Um, I'm not surprised that the score was fairly close, um, but I think I did give Minnesota the edge because they have home field advantage, they're well coached, they have good athletes. I mean, besides missing Cooper, um, it's like most of their you know key players are playing, and so. Um, I'm glad I was right. I'm a fan of Minnesota, and um, I'm, I'm looking forward to see how they can 
stack up in the rematch versus Boston, um, which hopefully isn't similar to the Texas League game. Kind of unique, Mark, that this is the first back-to-back titles in the Vixen team history in terms of the American Conference Championship. Pretty unique. Right, right. For a team that's been around longer than any other team, um, with a, you know, <laughs> that's 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 something. Um, so yes, congratulations to them. That's that's great. Obviously, uh, you know, the, the Vixen are uh, these past two years. Uh, this is the best version of the Vixen that anybody's ever seen um, in terms of uh, wins and competitiveness. Um, Certainly, they're a historic franchise, and you know there's a lot of value to that. And and I think now finally they are, you know, they're they're living up to everything that they wanted to be when they first formed in 1999. You know. Well, you know what? Uh, shout out to Coach Ryan uh, McCauley because his two years, I think it's two or three years as the head coach, they have been able to elevate their uh, roster. They've been able to elevate their uh, offensively as well. The defense has been pretty good. So, give, you know, give a shout-out to the coach there um, for uh, getting back-to-back American Conference Championships under his, under his belt. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a tremendous job, you know, um, you know it, having that accomplishment um, would be, you know, would be one thing if you, you know, had the same team that you had last year, which was very good. Um, but this has been a challenging year for for the Vixen, right? You know, they they lost Cooper um, to an injury. Some players from last year, um, like Kai Segula, you know, not not playing this year. Um, rookie quarterback, uh, you know, they've they've taken a couple of tough losses on the road, uh, but you know, here they are. Uh, regardless, they're, they've they've reached the final. You know, I, I think a lot of that adversity um, has sort of really toughened them up, and um, you know, matured people very fast who who maybe are are new to the program there. Um, and you know, I think it's just a testimony to the coaching job, um, to keeping everybody focused and not letting you know, making sure that they don't get down on themselves and, and, and turn into a bad direction. Um, they kept it all together and, and, you know, this is all paying off now. Terry, uh, you've been through the ups and downs. You missed the playoffs this year. You got to the playoffs. Um, so, you know, about coach, you know, two years in a row, you get back to back American conference championships. And now uh, you're able to, you know, go to toe to toe with probably the best team in the WFA once again. So it's uh, for, as a coach, I mean, I mean, with all the transition, like uh, Mark is pointing out here, uh, that's a huge accomplishment to, to get back, and you're going to have to face uh, the one, the team that beat you last year again. And now it's a different roster, a different quarterback. I just It's just a shuffle now. Yeah, I, I mean, like Mark said, it's a huge, huge compliment to the Minnesota coaching staff. Um, I thought the, uh, the WFA Pro Division uh, Western side was very interesting this year. Uh, with Cali, Nevada, Arlington, and Minnesota um, kind of roughing each other up. You know, Cali barely beat Nevada. Then they beat him in the rematch. Um, we remember the historic game when Nevada battled Minnesota and had a crazy comeback and, and squeaked them out by two points. And then Arlington killed 
Cali War or uh, Cali when they didn't they didn't have Wiggins at quarterback. So it kind of left you not really knowing how it was going to play out. I, I wouldn't have been surprised if any of those four teams had had made it um, to play Boston. Um, kind of like the WNFC, coincidentally. But, um, you know, it, Minnesota rises the occasion, and they got the job done. So hats off to them. Hopefully they can play a more competitive game than last year, which is saying a lot because I, I think they were more competitive than most teams last year when they played Boston. So hopefully they can do, do the same when they may be better. So, um, you know, looking forward to the matchup. Hopefully it, it's, it's a good one. Uh, Mark, if you're Coach Ryan, uh, you know what Johnson's all about now. You've seen you've seen the uh, Boston Renegades live and in in, in uh, real time, as they say. So this is going to be another scheming mentality because you know last game was so good. Uh, I think this is going to be a, probably another level up because I really think you know this this team you know they know what happened last year and uh, the anticipation to face Boston once again. I think it's big time in Minnesota right now. Oh yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it'll, I think it'll, this will be a good game. Um, and and you're right. I hear what you're saying. Uh, you know, once you've gotten to face, um, you know, the top team once, and and you know, you're not just looking at film, and you know, you're not just like, you know, hearing word of mouth um, stories about um, about playing against them, and you experience it in in, in real time, and um, you you know. Certainly, they have a much better perspective on what uh, the Boston Renegades, uh, you know, are like as a team on the field in in you know game situations. So obviously, I mean that's that's going to uh, you know help that coaching staff and those players uh, prepare for this game. So you know, I, I definitely you know I don't I don't know what the preparation uh, methods are like or you know, if they've changed at all from last year to this year. But I, I kind of half expect that, you know, now that they've seen Boston, um, you know, they're they're definitely um, adding more to their preparations for the final. Mm-hmm. Let's bring in McKenzie into the conversation here. Mac, uh, Minnesota, great season, great finish. The Edge, Cali, that's what we're talking about. So now they're obviously going to have to face Boston here a second time around. So, Pretty uh, uh, big hurdle, you think, or you think they're, they're going to be ready? You know, uh, we played Minnesota this season. Um, I mean, Minnesota is Minnesota. I think this time around they're going to get the job done. Uh, I think I'm going to take Minnesota by six. You're taking Minnesota by six? You really going to think? You really think they're going to beat Boston? You're really doing this? Look, anybody's beat. Look, any given Saturday, my friend, we all know this. I'm taking Minnesota by six. It's. Uh, I just want to point out, Mark, uh, that it's uh, Jody Redlander taking on Aaron Redwood Truitt once again <laughs> from the Clean that, Sheet that's, podcast. That's right. <laughs> I'm looking forward to, to hearing the next podcast. What the result will be after the game, <laughs> whether they'll be standing by each other again. <laughs> right, right. The first time, maybe they could survive. Uh, no, I mean, I, I'm sure it's going to be a all all good, you know, a few weeks later, depending on what Yeah, the it's going to be interesting uh, to see how they react to each other. Uh, Jody would love nothing better than to hoist that, that championship, right? Uh, just, to, I mean, oh, yeah. in her career, 
to get the national championship. She's been, I playing, mean, she's been playing since 1999. This is yep. this this would be a heck of a way to um to to wrap up that career. You know, such a long one. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, it would be really. Um, Mark, the key uh, would be Kelly playing at an up more level than Mosaic because Mosaic played really well last year too. So, and then you got no Cooper technically right now, but you still have Haas, a Barber, and you also have, I believe, uh, Washington Ware. So there's going to be some dynamics here in terms of the offense on Minnesota side, which Coach Rick is going to have to make adjustments here against that, uh, you know, Boston Stout defense. So. Interesting to see how they maneuver that against them. You got Radford as well, Barber. There's a, yep. so there's key pieces there. They're able to benefit from them. So hopefully they're going to make adjustments. Um, Matt, Boston. We know what they're all about. We have we know what they're made of. Against Pittsburgh, uh, it was a young team. George and company there. They played their hearts out. They really did a, a pretty decent job for the first two quarters. But then they got away from them like it normally does. So. You know, and, and given the fact that there was no Cahill at quarterback, I don't know how you feel if you're the coaching staff on the other end. The backup quarterback for Boston beat you in the playoffs. Wow. You know, this is this is a, this is kind of I'm not going to say it's touchy, but it is. You know, you never want to be beaten by a. Oh, this sounds so cliche, but you don't want you know as a starter, you don't want to be beaten by a backup. But if the backup is just as good as the starter that beat you in the first place, you gotta give credit where credit is due. That's kind of how I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah that that's true. I mean, that it was interesting. That was Shantae Bonds. You know, uh, she was uh, the the MVP of the league in 2018. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, so she can ball out. You know what I mean? There's no shame in that. I'll tell you that. Uh, Mark, there was a double take by me, and my popcorn fell when I was watching the – because I was like, where is Cahill? You know, it was almost like Waldo, where is Cahill? Right. And the, annou- the announcers <laughs> didn't know. even mention where, where Cahill was. Not mentioned once, uh, Cahill, even at, during the halftime, I, I was looking – I was waiting for Luis Sanchez to say, Cahill was, was not here because of this. Not one mention, and then I'm sitting there going, what is going on here? Am I watching the right game? Is this a this is a repeat real or something? Yeah, I mean, you know, Cahill was on the sidelines, and uh, you know, there are other players who, um, you know, didn't play. Um, our, our kicker and Team USA defensive back Mariette Martinez, she did she didn't play. Um, Ruth Mata, she was in for two plays but didn't touch the ball. Um, a lot of uh, you know a lot of the players deeper on the roster got opportunities to get into the game. So, so that was, that was interesting. Um, and I mean, I think you could kind of see there in the fourth quarter, um, you know, the, the passion were able to, to then start putting points up on the board. Um, you know, as, as we had more, you know, moving more people in and out on the, on the defense, I, it's very crucial to get players playing time. You know, uh, it go, especially if you're, you're heading into the championship um, because you want them to be ready for situations. And, you know, certainly, uh, you know, resting players and who, you know, are recovering from various, you know, ailments or bumps and bruises or, or just 
you know, exhaustion or whatever, um, you know, is a good thing to do if you can do it. <laughs> um, it's, it is kind of wild. I hear what you're saying, like doing it in the conference championship game is, is pretty wild. But certainly I, I think everybody was confident that they would get the job done um, uh, this past Sunday, Saturday. Mac, if you're looking at that, you're at the other side of the sideline, and you come up to this matchup, you're expecting Cahill, you're expecting Kusinen, you're expecting Mata, and then you get to the game, and none of those people are on the field for that period of time. <laughs> what does it tell you if you're Pittsburgh? You're like, this is the second squad, the goon squad was put in. I was like, what? Well, to some extent, you have to kind of look at it like a slap in the face, but at the same time, just like, you know, the guru was talking about, healing ailments and, you know, making sure that those starters that you have on that squad are, you know, ready to go for that next possible game. Like, I could see why they did it. You know, it's not – it's also not a settle, not a good settling feeling when you're – you know, you expect the first team that's been playing and handling things all season, and then you turn around and you get most of their backups and most of their, you know – second string, third stringers, practice squad people maybe um, type thing. So I, I get it. Like, I, I see both sides of the coin here. Um, it's just a little difficult. Just like you say, you know, you go in expecting one thing and get almost the complete opposite. It's crazy because I know I had to do a double take, and I'm pretty sure everybody else was doing a double take because when I saw Chante uh, Bonds at quarterback, and I'm like, okay, did Cahill get injured? That was my thing, Mark. I was like, what happened to Kale? Did she get injured? It's kind of like a heart attack. You know what I mean? If you're a Renegades fan, you're like, your main quarterback is out. What happened here? We're going to the championship one game ahead. Uh, but I'm being overdramatic, of course. Uh, but, you know, bottom line is that's what you saw on the pot on, on, in terms of the live stream. But, you know, it, it was nice to see, uh, I think it was uh, Falcalsi, if I'm pronouncing her name wrong, Catherine Falcalsi. Yes. Uh, in the right. mix. Yes, Falcalsi. And then you have a couple players also in the mix in terms of receivers, Tully. So there's a couple substitutes, if you want to call them at this point, that did play really good ball. And then uh, Kusinen was in there for, uh, I think, more snaps than anything else uh, in, in terms of the Oh, first yeah. Half, but... I mean, Kusinen definitely carried the load. I, you know, she, yeah. she rushed for like 150 yards and four touchdowns. So, um, she, you know, she was, she was the one that, that, that carried, uh, carried the offense. Um, not to say that the other players like Salkowski – you know, she did it. She did a great job. I mean, she's she's in her second year now, coming along. Um, so getting that time behind Kusinin, I mean, that was really good for her and for the team. Mac uh, Kusinin reminds me of you when you're angry on the run game. It's just unstoppable. It's like dragging bodies. You know what I mean? That girl's just dragging bodies. My God, that those those thighs are just massive. When she gets going, it's like it's just grinding, grinding, grinding. I mean, she can literally take like three or four players on a drag mode, which is very impressive. Wait a minute. Did you just say she reminds you of me? I love that. I love this for me. Uh, I can totally see why. Uh, I ain't going to lie. Um, but she's just, she, just <laughs> like any other power player, there's a lot of – and see, this is the thing is, like, with those of, those of us – I call us power players because we're not really glued to the line, but we're not quite – fully skilled players, like, we're, I guess we're more, we're more power utility, if that makes sense. Like, 
she does just be dragging people. Like, don't get in her way. It's just like going, trying to run through a Mack truck. Don't get in my way. I may run a little bit slower, but it's going to take 800 of y'all to take us down. The people don't understand that. And that's fine, you know. It is what it is, but don't underestimate her. That's for sure. As y'all, as y'all saw, don't underestimate her like you can't. No, it was, it was unique to see that. Uh, Mark, uh, shout out to George. Shout out to Chavez, uh, Fatali. Uh, they did play well. Meister, they all played pretty decent game. It just it just seemed like their scheme was not uh, as effective, you know. And then Boston was just yeah. playing basically almost the same offensive that they would normally instill with the first team and just kind of shows the consistency that they have, you know, uh, as a whole team. Right. Well, you know, Pittsburgh came out and they, they scored on their first drive, which, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think that happened uh, unless the Divas did it. Um, I don't think any other team did that this um, uh, to Boston this year. So, you know, they had a few things. They definitely had a few things worked out. I think, um, you know, as the game progressed, though, the key for Boston's defense was to, to just keep Chavez contained a little bit um, in – so for most of the game, you didn't really hear Chavez's name get called too much. She didn't, she didn't have, you know, make any big plays. She made one at the end of the game, um, you know, and just containing her long enough um, to, you know, to get out ahead was a really big deal. I, I think, you know, the defense did a pretty good job of anticipating um, who was going to get the ball. Um, on defense, like based on things like alignment and stuff like that, so that it made it easier to contain Chavez, um, and I think that was a big key for Boston. Now, uh, Terry, as a coach, uh, this is a young Pittsburgh team. I think just going to get better. They do have a good chemistry with the running game, a couple good receivers. They got a good quarterback that's mobile at the same time, and it's got a good arm. So if you're if you're Pittsburgh coming back off that you know hiatus. Uh, I think this pro- looks promising for next year. Yeah, I think um, I think Pittsburgh's a good team. I think they're well coached. They have good athletes, like you said. Unfortunately, they're not anywhere close to what Boston is, um, and that just kind of is what it is. You know what I mean? Like, there's only one Boston. There's only one Texas Elite, and uh, everybody else is trying to ke- catch up eventually. So, uh, Pittsburgh is a good team, and I think they can be competitive in the future with teams like DC. You know Detroit, um, et cetera, the other other uh, pro teams, um, but if, but unfortunately there's a gap between the, all those teams in Boston, in my opinion, um, until further notice. Hey Mac, if you're looking at Pittsburgh right now, you you know you got beat by a second squad team, uh, obviously with the, with an an elite level coaching staff and, the, and that that franchise. But if you're looking to, for next year, uh, the nucleus is there for them to maybe be relevant again and arrive here once again. You know, I think if you're Pittsburgh, you kind of have to take this with a grain of salt. Like, you, you know, you, you went in expecting one thing, getting another. And I don't want to say they got complacent, but that's essentially what happened. Uh, this time around, you know, new game, new situation, you got to be aware of, you know, what's going on. Um, it's kind of it, it's kind of like a double-edged sword, if you will. Um, you, you, you know, at this point, you really just got to lock and load and, and be prepared for anything, like literally anything. <laughs> like you can't, you can't just go into the game thinking that you're going to get one type of squad and get, you know, and then end up not getting, you know, 
that's that game that's plan, that's like, that's that's plan Mac, you walk in there, you're you're game planning for Cahill, you're game planning for Mata and and Kusin, and all of a sudden you get no Mata <laughs> for no much. You get Kusin, but you get you get Bond. <laughs> so if you're the coaching staff, you're like the playbook just run out the, into the garbage. <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> well, it's not even so much that the, it's not even so much that you throw the playbook in the garbage can. You literally have to adjust on the fly. You know, instead yeah. of halftime adjustments, it's literally pre-game adjustments like that's a yep. thing now it just it is what it is you know you and w- when you play ball or sports at a high level like like we do and that like how we coach and, you know coach and play and talk about you know, on the podcast um you, those those things you have to be prepared for you have to be ready for those kinds of things um and it's just and unfortunately they got they got the unfortunate luck of the draw and it just you know it is Unfortunately, it is what it is. You can't really, you can't go back. You can't change it. Yeah. You, you know, we just again got to kind of take it with a grain of salt and go from there. Mark, you were expecting a Subway sub sandwich, and you got a cafeteria backup sandwich, which is still somewhat okay, but that just doesn't taste right. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I hear what you're saying, you know, and and certainly, you know. Uh, the unexpected is something that every team has to be prepared for um, in, you know, in every game. But, you know, I would think that, you know, if you're Pittsburgh and you, you show up in Boston and then you find out that Cahill's not playing and Matt is not playing, I think you feel pretty good about, you know, you feel like your chances just got better. Do you know what I mean? So sure. um, it is a double-edged sword, as, as Max said, you know, there, there's contending with the unexpected, um, but, you know, at the same time, um, you know, a, a couple of your, you know, uh, strong foes are, you know, are not playing. So um, there's something to be said for that. I, I'm thinking this is going to be a great matchup. Um we're going to talk – we'll dive in more closely to the matchups next podcast. We'll dive into more of the players who are going to be the key pieces to each matchup. But overall, Boston versus Minnesota. we got uh, Mile High versus Derby. We're going to get Capital City against OKC. The Division Three matchup, Division Two matchup, totally unique and different, where the uh, National Pro Championship is going to be a rematch. So it's really, really awesome there. Uh, Mac, uh, I mean – this is what we wanted. Uh, all those teams, I think, are very competitive. Uh, Derby's very hungry to do what Nevada did, which is go from D3 to D2 and make a championship. So that's a, an interesting storyline in itself. Capital City against OKC, who will stand out? Like we had Arizona last year against Derby. Now it's going to be two different teams in D3 that have never you know, won the championship or never been arrived there, where Derby did arrive last year. And Mahai, for the longest time, has wanted to be here. So uh, kind of interesting in both D2 and D3. You know, D2 and D3 being my team, being in it, being in that D2, you know, being in that D2 spot as far as being a team in D2, uh, this was very interesting for us to watch, especially like we went to the first round and, and lost to Houston, then Houston turned around and, and lost to Denver, and Denver still ends up on top. Um, and I am – kind of here for it. This makes for a very interesting storyline, especially because I feel like this De- this this Denver Derby City matchup has has had been in the making 
type thing for a while is just been something that's never been, um, you know, been able to come to fruition rather. So um, the D3 one is super interesting too. There's been some controversy with uh, one of the teams in D3. I'm not going to give out any details, um, but if you guys can put two and two together um, and you know, you know, you know your sport, you should be able to uh, put it together. Uh, Point being is, this this one's going to be an interesting. One. I'm, I can't even pick who I want to, who I'm going to take for the win on either side. Um, to be completely honest with you, um, I know for D two, I'm I'm I got to go with Denver though for D two. I think Denver has enough power, and they, you know they've retained enough people, and they've just they play consistent for most of the season. I think they're going to pull it off. It's not going to be it's not going to be an easy win by any means though. I doubt it's going to be easy because Selma and company, I mean, they would love to repeat. That would be their their thing. Uh, Mac, on a Boston-Minnesota level, uh, is this Boston's biggest challenge, a, a turnaround uh, Minnesota team that knows what they're up against uh, again this time around, or do you feel like Boston is going to just play Boston ball again and maybe Minnesota's not going to be – I mean, they're probably going to maybe reach a little bit of a closer gap, but maybe not get over. Um, I think Boston has to play. They Boston have basically, in my eyes, has to play lights out for them to beat Minnesota. Minnesota has been walking through everybody except. Well, I'm pretty sure they, there was one game that they lost, and they just were they just seemed to be off for some reason. But Minnesota's coming. Minnesota's coming, and Minnesota is hungry. Boston has forever been the reigning defending champs, um, and I just at this point, I'm. I'm I'm not going to call Minnesota an underdog because that would be disrespectful. However, going into this game, they are the underdog, and I'm still going to take them. All right, so you're, that's fine. I mean, that's what we're looking for right now. We're looking for the opportunity. I mean, they got a better squad. Uh, I'm pretty sure they, uh, Coach Rick knows what you know Boston's all about. They know they got to play a better game. They got to you know limit their turnovers and all that. So they're going to have to. So Mark the international backfield that is the wrecking ball for Boston, that is what Minnesota's uh, challenge will be. Not so much Cahill, because we already know what Cahill and Smith can bring, but if they, them two running, international running backs get going, it will not be pretty. Yeah, you know, it, both teams are different from from last year, right? And we talked a little bit about how Minnesota is mm-hmm. a lot different than they were last year. Um, although I, you know, I, I wonder if, uh, Cooper might come back. I, I don't know the extent of her injury or, um, you know, if, if, if the timeline works at all, but, you know, she was walking on the field, um, in the last game and even jogging around. So, um, she was in street clothes, of course, but, um, you know, so anyways, that's, that's an aside. But as you, as you point out, Boston, you know, has really become more of a run-heavy team this year. Um, you know, uh, last year and, and um, years past, uh, it's been very a very balanced offense and even at times a bit pass-heavy. Um, but but this year it's definitely um, the running the running game that's been featured. And so they've got two very very different styles of running backs um, that the, uh, they have to prepare for. The Vixen do. Um, with uh, Kusinen, uh, the fullback, uh, they call her the freight train, 
you know, uh, much like the Mack truck, we've got the freight train. And, and then we've got uh, Ruth, size doesn't matter, who, you know, at something at 410, um, and um, she can sort of zig and zag and juke you uh, pretty good. So, um, yeah, you're right. I, I think facing the running backs is – that's the number one challenge uh, for the Vixen. Um, if they can manage to um, slow those two down, uh, which is a tough task, then they're going to have to contend with what whatever else Boston might throw at them in terms of, of a passing game or, you know, some of the, um, you know, what we say uh, um, backup players or, you know, the third string players like Falkowski um, or sort of like, you know, kind of underutilized wide receivers. I don't want to say underutilized, but like, uh, you know, wide receivers like Sarah Tully, um, uh, Renata Meckel, who is actually leads uh, in receiving yards for the Renegades this year, despite being a rookie. Um, you know, there are just other weapons on uh, Boston that they're going to have to, con- co- you know, prepare for. It's a lot of preparation. <laughs> Awesome. So uh, we got about uh, two minutes here. Mac, uh, it's nice to have you back uh, in the podcast. We're going to be diving into the IFAB World Championships in the next couple, couple weeks here. We're going to be diving into, the obviously, the WFA National Championships as we come over in, the, in this coming uh, week or two. And then we're going to, obviously, round up the NFL as we get preseason action. We'll get college football back in the fall. So make sure you guys subscribe on Apple, iHeart, and Spotify because you're going to be, obviously, listening to a lot of Mac a lot of Holly Custis as we're talking NFL and we're talking college football in the fall, including Terry and Mark and everybody else. So we'll dive into the NFL as we get into the NFL season as well. And then we'll, we'll have international uh, ball as well overseas, uh, Australia. We're probably going to have some international ball in Central America and Mexico. So there's still going to be a women's tackle football being played globally. So uh, Mac, it's nice to have you back. Uh, it's kind of interesting to, kind of get the the gang back together after the, you know, the WFA season, but looking forward to this whole, uh, you know, championship in the WFA. And then what, what a weekend for women's tackle football. The Valkyries win the WWCFL championship. Uh, the Texas elite obviously take down the WNFC title as well. Man, I know. It, it's nice to be able to come back after a long season. It was, oh my goodness, it was just the longest, and I loved it though. But I mean, I I listened I listened to as many episodes that I missed as I possibly could. So it's it's like it's like having Max, but not having Max. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's oh, it's, yeah. uh, it's good to be back. It's good to hear uh, the guru and uh, the backseat coach, who I love to give help to. It's fine. I enjoy that thoroughly. I don't know why. It's like a hobby. Um, but if y'all are not going to the hub to to see this stuff, you know, go down score stats, the witty banter. I don't know what you're doing with your life for real. They're, they're they're all at the hub now. We're almost 20k strong. So thanks for everybody for rallying up and going to the hub. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. We're going to be looking forward at 4:32. We're going to break down everything in WFA national championships more thoroughly as we break down every uh, division, pro division, division two, and division three. And looking forward to a couple more things that are happening internationally in terms of Sweden, Finland, a couple of the seasons in Germany as well. We haven't dived into that but we'll go through a more thorough into that in the next couple of podcasts. So Terry, thanks for coming along. Appreciate it. Making the time today. Uh, Mac, uh, welcome back. Really appreciate it. Uh, Holly will, should be back in a week or two here. Nate also should be back in a week or two. And as always, uh, 
Mark, always a pleasure to have you on. And so looking forward to this huge uh, next week as we preview all this stuff. Y'all better get to the hub. That's all I'm going to tell you. Get to the hub and, and follow us. Be there with us. Tune in. <laughs> all right. So, Terry, night, uh, Mark, and, and uh, Mac, I'll see you guys next week. Have a great night, everybody. All right. See you guys. We out. Bye. We need We need Welcome to the...